Three Strands is growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Jesus. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, visit us at threestrands.church. But I'm glad you're here, and uh, we're going to dive into a brand new series today all about anxiety. And so uh, there's really three kinds of people in the world when it comes to anxiety. There's people who have a lot of anxiety and are willing to admit it. Maybe that's you, right? There's people who have a lot of anxiety and won't admit it, right? And then there's people who genuinely don't have hardly any anxiety, but they create a lot of anxiety for everybody else, right? That's about the only three groups of people there are when it comes to anxiety. And so I don't know which of those three categories you fit into, but over the next month plus, we're going to dig into what God has to say about anxiety, hopefully give you some freedom from it. And I promise you, if you'll take down a few notes, jot them into your phone, write them on a piece of paper, Um, Don't just listen and go out of here and forget it. I promise you over these five weeks, we're going to give you some stuff from God's Word that would really help you battle anxiety. And so just jot down a few things um, that you hear that are interesting to you, some verses you want to go back and look at later maybe, but be a student of the Word and uh, don't just hear it and then go out and forget what you hear, but actually go out and repeat it and re-look at it and put it into practice. And so... um, Let's dig into it. When anxiety attacks today, did anybody see the story um, on the news this week about uh, the two ladies that went kayaking in California? Anybody see that? There was two kayakers in California. Two ladies went out kayaking in California this week, and before they realized what had happened, they and their kayaks were all lifted into the air by a humpback whale, who had circled them, grabbed them in his mouth and lifted them up into the air, and then spit them out, and they fell back down to the ocean, right? And they were, like, interviewing these ladies on TV and asking them what they felt like, and the word they kept saying was, I just felt so terrified the whole time. Wouldn't you? I mean, is something the size of, like, 20 school buses picked you up in the air and flung you around from no, out of nowhere? You, thought you didn't even see it coming? It just came from underneath you? Wouldn't you be, like, just panicked? terrified, worried, at a minimum, anxious, right? And I couldn't think of a better example for me than that this week of how I would feel anxious if I were in that situation. I'm somebody who doesn't tend to feel a whole lot of worry or anxiety, but in that moment, I would have been pretty anxious, right? I've been trying to figure out a way to get the whale to eat my buddy, like and let me go, you know what I mean? And so uh, I don't know where you're at on that spectrum today. Some of you are probably sitting here and feeling like, I feel good, I don't feel very anxious at all. And some of you are probably like ready to bite your nails and just worried the whole time you're here. But wherever you're at on that, I want to give you some truth from God's Word, dig into it, get us some advice so we can battle anxiety and not have to just give into it whenever it attacks us, all right? Because it's going to attack all of us at some point. If you want to follow along with us in the Bible, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to a bunch of different churches. Some letters were wrote to just one person. Some letters in the Bible were written to specific churches. This is a letter that was written to a bunch of churches. They would have made a bunch of copies of this, and they would have traveled it around to a bunch of different churches in Europe and Asia. And so it trickles down to us in America today, Peter's instructions as an older man to the church, to the Christians in this world. And so we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, near the very end of his letter to all these churches. And today I want to read that passage for you, and then let's just dig into it a little bit. So if you want to follow along, it'll be 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 5, and the words will be on the screen too. So here's what it says. Ready? 
Dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your anxieties to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you. He will place you on a firm foundation, all power to him forever. Amen. Amen just means so be it. Let it be. So amen, he says. Let it be just like I said, just like I read, just like I wrote. And so today I want to talk with you about being under attack. And maybe you feel like anxiety is this thing that has you like unable to breathe, panicked under attack, like you, like you don't even know what to do. There's, it's just the way I am. The circumstances are just so severe, there's no way out. I promise you there is. If, if you'll tune in today and, and listen to just kind of step one of this five-step series, I promise you there's a way out. God wouldn't really be God if he said there was a way out and it didn't work. I promise you it'll work if you'll tune in. And so I thought about talking to you this week about being under attack and my mind instantly went anybody who's like you know my age maybe a little younger than me anybody that's older than me for sure would remember exactly where they were at on September 11 2001 right so September 11 2001 I was up getting ready to go to work I think I was about to work a 12-hour day it's a long it's a long day for me I'm usually good for about three so 12 hours is a long time but I was getting ready for work, and one of my roommates said, hey, man, get in here. You got to see what's on the TV. And I go in. All of us sit down on the couches, and we're watching news channel after news channel, and every news channel is covering the same story, and every one of them keeps saying, America is under attack. And now looking back at it, you know, 20 years later, almost everybody's probably seen the clip of when they told President Bush what was going on, and President Bush was at a elementary school that morning. He was reading a story to little kids, and his chief of staff comes over to him and whispers something into his ear, and you just see this look come over President Bush's face. Of course, at that time, you didn't know what was being said to him. You found out later, if you've watched any kind of documentary on 9-11, that what the chief of staff said to him was like, America is under attack. And on his face in that moment, what you saw was a combination of of anger and fear, panic and frustration, all melting together to create anxiety from being under attack. That's how so many of us have to walk around every day. It's on our face. Everybody sees it. We think we're doing the best we can to hide it, but we're really living an anxiety-filled life, panicked, afraid, overwhelmed, frustrated, and angry, and not sure what to do with it. And so here comes Peter, later on in his life as an old man, 
decades after all the stories recorded about him in Acts and the Gospels, where he walked with Jesus, helped to start the churches. And here he is writing this letter to all these churches as an old man, and he talks just like an old man. You know how an old man talks? They hold nothing back. You know what I'm talking about, right? Too, they volunteer way too much medical information, right? It's like something weird happens in life where like when you're a real little kid, you just say whatever you're thinking. And then there's this whole stretch in the middle where you realize people don't want to know all that stuff. And then it turns back into that again someday. You ever notice that? And you turn back into this like old person who just says whatever you're thinking. You don't care if it hurts anybody's feelings. You don't care what anybody thinks. Hey, I'm just going to speak it. That's what's going on here, right? Peter's now an old guy. He's just going to say it like it is. And this letter is packed with a lot of encouragement, a lot of like uh, uh, instructions, normal things. Then he gets to the end, and it's almost like he's like, but I just got to tell you how it is. And what he's going to say at the end, this passage I just read, is this. Be on guard. You better be concerned. The devil trying to get you. And you're thinking like, if he was telling us this is like a bedtime story, he'd be scaring little kids, you know? This isn't like, you know, candy-coated, powder puff kind of Bible teaching. This is like, what do you mean the devil is trying to get me? He's trying to get you like a lion, trying to gobble you up. Sleep tight. You know what I mean? Like, it, and he just kind of lays it out like it is. Like, hey, I don't got much time left. I just got to tell you how it is. And this is how it is. You're going to have all kinds of anxiety. You're going to have to fight, stand strong. You're going to have to be firm in the faith because the devil is trying to destroy your life actively. And so he says, watch out, be alert. This is different than how Christianity is packaged around most of the world today. And it turns out in God's word, Christianity is not all gumdrops and roses after you decide to follow Jesus. Turns out there's actually a fight that still goes on, a battle that's raging in your life every day over anxiety, over attacks from the devil. And following Jesus doesn't mean that every circumstance I face from now on is going to be pleasant. Peter's letting us know, whatever you've heard about following Jesus, whatever you've heard about Christianity, it may not be accurate. No, this is what it's really like. It's a fight. And the devil's trying to rip you apart. And he teaches us this truth that that's what the normal Christian life looks like. And so if you're here today and you feel anxiety, you feel frustration, you feel overwhelmed, Peter's saying that's normal. That's actually the birthmark of a real Christian. That the birthmark of a believer is that you have a big old fat bullseye right on the back of you that the devil's trying to seek out every day. That's what being a Christian looks like. Not like you wake up and it all goes well all the time and you're all happy and you skip to work and you sing carols even in November. No, it's not like that. Some days are rough. Some days are hard and overwhelming and full of anxiety and that's normal. But now be careful not to attribute a bunch of stuff in your life to the devil that's really just you. And we do that all the time, right? Like if nobody at, work's, if nobody at work likes you, it might not be the devil. You might just be a jerk, right? And so it's like, don't, don't give the devil credit for stuff you're screwing up. 
But there are those times when it just feels like the devil's attacking you relentlessly. Nothing's going your way. Relationship after relationship is ending and you can't seem to do anything about it. Job after job doesn't work out and you don't know why. Day after day, you feel worse and worse and you can't seem to get any better. And it's just like building and building and you feel like you're under attack and you have that look on your face like President Bush had. Now what? What do I do? Do I get up and walk away from what I'm doing right now? Do I go do something different? Do I run? Do I hide? Do I fight? What do I do? And that's how many of us feel. So today what I want to do is I want to just go back through this passage. I want to give you the facts about the attacks. Okay, let's lay out the facts because a lot of times we just don't know the facts. So here they are. Let me give you a couple of them real quick. Here's the first one. It's not an ambush. Anxiety attacks. And it always feels like an ambush. I did not see that coming. That came out of nowhere. But did you see what Paul or what Peter wrote in verse 8? Look back at verse 8. Look what he wrote. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I'm thinking, the devil's not real smart. Because if he was really trying to sneak up on me and devour me, he wouldn't be roaring. Right? I mean, a lion that roars on his way to get you isn't really ambushing you, is he? It's not an ambush when anxiety attacks. There's warning signs that it's coming. I remember being on a safari in South Africa and we're in the Jeep, and everybody wants to see lion. I mean, you want to see all kinds of animals in Africa. You want, to, um, you want to spot elephants and zebras and giraffes and hippos, but nobody wants to complete their safari without seeing a pride of lions. And so you pull over at every wet rest stop. You get out. You look at the pin boards to see where other people have spotted prides of lions. You drive there because you want to see lions, and so you're driving slowly along these dusty, dirty roads, and everybody's got their windows down. And you're listening, hoping you can like hear something. You're looking to see if you see like the grass rustling because they sneak around. And so you want to know, like, are they close? And you don't ever get out of your Jeep, just for the record. If you ever go on a safari in Africa, okay, it's not like going to the zoo. So you don't want to get out of your vehicle because you get eaten. You will get devoured. But you're looking for the signs. Has somebody else seen him over there? Let's go over there. Is the grass moving a little bit? Do I hear anything? Can I see anything with my eyes? You're looking for the signs. It's not an ambush when the devil sneaks up to you. And why I can say that is this, because Peter just said he's doing it every day. <laughs> you ready? It's like when people say like, man, Christmas just snuck up on me this year. What are you talking about? It's December 25th every year. It can't sneak up on you. The devil can't sneak up on you because he's trying to devour you every day. I'm letting you know right now, if he's been ambushing you in the past, let the ambushes stop right now. Be for sure, as soon as you walk out the doors, he's going to be back at his game trying to take you down. It's not an ambush. No, he's roaring when he comes at us. And so it makes me think, I'm looking at this passage and I'm thinking, well, what's the next instruction from Peter going to be? Well, I know what it'd be if I wrote the letter. It'd be like, oh, devil's roaming around, prowling like a roaring lion trying to devour you. Verse 9, run away, dude. Right? And I want all of you to know, if you go out in the streets today, you go to your house and you see a roaring lion, I want you to run away. I don't care what the Bible says in this next verse, all right? If you see a lion 
out in the street today, you better run at least faster than whoever you're with, right? But that isn't what Peter says. Look what he says in verse 9. You ready? What? Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. I don't get it, Peter. I mean, it's a roaring lion, but is it? Because here's the second fact about the attack. You ready? It's not an ambush, but the enemy's weapon is deception. Can we read that verse 8 one more time? I want to point out something you might have missed. Look at verse 8 again. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you understand? The devil isn't actually a roaring lion. He's a phony. In the Bible, the whole Bible, there's only one lion. It's the lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, is the only person that actually is a lion. What the devil's doing is he's walking around pretending to be a lion, and he roars, and he puts on a lion costume, and he knocks on your door on Halloween, and you open, and he goes, rawr. Everybody do that for a second. Go, rawr. That's right. Okay. That was pretty weak, all right? But I, I wouldn't run from that for sure. But he's roaring at your door. You're not scared of that. Am I scared of that? Give him some candy. Be like, go to the next house, dude. I ain't, I ain't trying to buy that. You're no lion. You're just wearing a costume. You're just masquerading. He's a fraud. The reason that Peter says you can stand firm in the faith, that you can hold your ground against the devil when he's trying to devour you, is because he actually isn't a lion. He's just a pretender. So you can hold your ground. But we always run. And the reason we run is because we react based on our feelings instead of God's facts. And we got to stop living at the level of our feelings and start living at the level of God's facts. Do you understand? He's saying to stay and fight, not to run and hide. But we always run and hide. Anxiety overwhelms us. We get frustrated with life. What do we do? We go hide in our basement, eat a bunch of junk food. We go to the bar, try to wash it all away. Don't, don't we? We run away. We stop coming to church because I don't really feel like going today. We live at the level of our feelings instead of trusting God at the level of his facts. Hey, man, I promise your life will be better if you go to church all the time. Yeah, but I just don't feel like it today. I promise your life will be better if you only date and marry the kind of person I say to date and marry, but you don't understand, I'm so lonely inside. I promise your life will be better if you take your money and give to God first, but I don't have enough money to do that. I feel like I'll be broke. And we just live at the level of our feelings instead of living at the level of God's facts. And so the lion roars and he's roar. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be broke. I don't want to face everybody. So we come right down there. We run away from the lion instead of standing firm. So it's not an ambush. The enemy's weapon is deception. Here's the third fact about the attack. You ready? You're not the only one. You're not the only one. I love how Peter puts it in verse 9 when he makes it a point to remind us that all the believers all around the world are going through the exact same things we are. 
Did you see it in there? Look at verse 9 again. He says, remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Can you put all three of those on the board just for a second? The board. What am I, 112? The screen? <laughs> when class is over, can somebody erase the chalkboard? <laughs> these three things, these facts about the attacks of anxiety, right? I want you to know that almost every single time you feel like anxiety is overwhelming you, it's because of one of these three things. In fact, if you talk to people who feel worried or anxious, these are the things you're going to hear them say. You ready? I didn't even see it coming. It just hit me out of nowhere. They think it's an ambush. Or, or they say like, oh, it was just so powerful. The feelings inside of me were so strong. The weapons being used against me were undefeatable. They buy the lie. Or... Nobody else really feels like this. I mean, I know other people are miserable and suffer, but nobody feels like I feel. You find somebody that's on the verge of taking their own life because anxiety is so strong inside of them, because they're so overwhelmed in worry, I guarantee you, you will be able to trace it back to one of these things. They believed a lie the enemy was selling. They, they weren't prepared for the fight because they thought they just it came out of nowhere or they believed they were the only one dealing with it. These are the facts about the attacks. But we don't have to live that way. Did you guys notice when I was reading that passage, all the words that Peter used to describe how we're supposed to deal with anxiety? Do you notice all the words? I don't know if you paid attention to them or not, but so I just made a little list here in my notes of them, right? He said, stay alert, watch out, stand firm, be strong, Remember, you're not the only one. Did you, did you see all those things? Okay. So when you read all those words, right, they sound like things you're supposed to do, don't they? Stay alert. Stand firm. Watch out. But are they really physical things we're supposed to do? At first, I'm thinking like, yeah, as much as give everybody this physical list, things they can do, stand firm, watch out. I mean, that's not what Peter's talking about. Is Peter actually telling you what you're supposed to do to fight the anxiety the devil's going to try and bring in your life is to go home today, look through your blinds, and watch out. The devil might be out there trying to get in. Is that what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to stay alert. Don't sleep tonight. Stay alert because he might be in your bedroom. Is that what he's talking about? No. He's not talking about physical things. He's talking about something that goes on in your mind, isn't he? If you actually play out these things as physical manifestations, they don't make any sense. You don't literally, physically stay alert, watch out, be strong. Like, oh, the devil's coming to get me, so I'm going to the gym today for an extra hour. It doesn't work like that. You think the devil sees you, he's like, well, I was going to attack that guy today, but he really hit the press bar real hard, so I'm going to lay out. It doesn't work like that. They're not physical things he's telling us to do. It's a mental battle. They all take place in your mind, but the problem is that almost all people try to battle anxiety physically. Their coping mechanisms for dealing with anxiety are things like this. Listen, you ready? They go to a spa for the weekend. I'm so worried. I just got to get away. They take a vacation. They go get a massage. They drink a lot. They, they use medication. They cut themselves. They go do a lot of exercising. They use 
sexual outlets. They eat a bunch of junk food. Isn't that how people deal with stress and anxiety? And all those things aren't even bad. I don't want you to go out here and cut yourself. But I'm just, I'm just fine as can be with you going out of here and deciding I'm going to exercise or take a vacation. Those things aren't all bad. But they're not where the fight happens. The fight happens in your brain. So how can we defeat an enemy on the inside when we only do battle on the outside? This is why so many people are losing the battle against anxiety. This is why America is the most depressed country on earth and yet the most medicated country on earth. And I'm not saying medication is wrong. What I'm saying is you're never going to defeat the battle of your mind only by doing things physically. What if we did it God's way first? And then you know what? Let's do it God's way. And if I still need medication, let's take it. Let's do it God's way. And if I still need a vacation, let's go on one. But let's not replace God's plan with a bunch of alcohol. Or cutting my arms up. Or exercise at the gym. Let's do it God's way and fight the battle inside and see if it doesn't work. So I'm looking at all this this week. And when I was finished studying this passage, I had come up with all this list of things that Peter said for us to do. And I kind of summed them up into these three things. Let me show them to you, right? Give, stand, remember. I kind of summed them up. We're supposed to give our worries, give our anxieties to God. Stand firm. Remember you're not alone. And I thought, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to give everybody this list. And I'm going to walk you through how to do these three things. Hey, how do we give our anxieties to God? Well, let's pray about it. Let's show you how to pray about it. How do we stand firm against the devil? Well, you better get surrounded by the Lord's presence every day. You better spend time with him. You better uh, worship God, spend some time singing and worshiping and doing the things it takes to actually stand firm in the faith. And then how do I remember that I'm not alone? Well, you better get plugged into a community group, a life group, surrounded by some other people where you get to hear them say, you know what, I'm struggling too. Remember, you're not alone. I almost missed it. Because that would have been burying the lead. I looked at those three things this week, and this is kind of like, I'm kind of weird, so I, I try to look at words that we're teaching, and I try to see if there's anything like behind the word I can pull out for you. So this is what I pulled out. You ready? GSR. Does anybody know what GSR stands for? Oh, man, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I don't even like use, I don't even like spend much time shooting guns, right? Gunshot residue, right? Everybody's GSR, ever heard that before? Oh, is that real? Oh, man. Listen, I watch a lot of crime TV shows. I've heard them often. CSI, that's all they ever talked about was gunshot residue. So gunshot residue is like you shoot, a, whenever you shoot, there's like a little residue that gets left on your skin or your clothes, right? And they could test you for it, see if you really pulled the trigger. Just go watch some CSI. You'll see what I'm talking about, right? CSI, where's Chase? CSI, it's like what they had back in the day. I know they don't do that anymore, but. So uh, I looked at this. I thought, man, I'm going to go in. I'm going to give everybody these points. I'm going to give them this list of stuff they should be doing. And then I'm going to tell them, hey, when you're battling anxiety, there's going to be a little blowback, a little residue on you from all the fighting you're going to do. But you've got to get out there and pull the trigger. I was even going to show you a video of me shooting an AR down at Opie's house, which is pretty legit. I'm just going to say I crushed that bullseye. But I'm just saying, so I was going to show you this. And then I realized if I do that, I will have been dishonest to the passage because I almost missed it. Because the point isn't for us to do a bunch of stuff to overcome anxiety. 
The point is back at the beginning of the paragraph in verses 5 and 6. Can I read it to you again? Here's the big main idea of the whole passage. Ready? He says, dress yourself in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Can you go back to verse 5 just for a second? Okay, so I'm going to add a little bit to the word. Now, don't go out here and tell people that I added to the Bible and all that, you bunch of punks. So I'm going to add something just to make it like a little bit more sense to you. Because in, in like Greek, when, they, when Peter was writing this letter, there were no verse numbers, right? He's just, he just writing a letter. So imagine if at the end of this phrase here, see, he says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, now go to the next verse, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You see what he's saying? So because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, you should humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. I love that phrase, the mighty hand of God. You know what the hand of God represents in the Bible? It all, every time it comes up, it represents protection, provision, God's plan. I know they're all P's. You don't have to write those down if you want to. But I'm just saying, in the Bible, that's what it represents. God's powerful right hand. You're, you're secure in the palm of God's hand. I will extend my hand of provision over the nation of Israel. Every time it shows up, what he's saying is, you better get yourself under the hand of God. Why? Because he's going to be opposed to you if you don't. You better humble yourself and live right there underneath God's hand. Because that's where you're going to find your provision. That's where you're going to find your protection. Devil's trying to get you. Looks like you're tapped out and out of resources. You better find yourself right underneath the hand of God. It made me think of the story of Peter's life earlier in his life. In Matthew chapter 14, you can look it up sometime if you want, but maybe some of you remember this story in Matthew chapter 14 where Peter walks on the water. Anybody remember that story? Peter's in a boat. It's stormy, and Jesus comes walking to them on the water. He sees them coming, and Peter yells out to him, Lord, if that's really you, let me come and walk to you on the water. And Jesus is like, come on, dude. Peter climbs out over the side of the boat. He starts walking on the water to Jesus. Amazing. Then he starts to sink. The Bible doesn't say how far he got. It doesn't say how close Jesus was to the boat. It doesn't say how long it took for him to start sinking, but at some point he started to sink. I want to read you two verses from that story. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 30. Look, when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Now look where he's at in verse 31. You ready? Look where he's at. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and grabbed him. See, the point of that story isn't that Peter walked on the water, although that's super cool, right? And the point of that story isn't that he was so afraid or had such little faith that he began to sink. No, the point of that story is he was close enough to the hand of God that when he shouted out for help, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. The hero in the story is Jesus. And I wonder how many of us aren't actually living under the hand of God, so when anxiety attacks us, we can't even be close enough to get reached out and saved. Do you see it? Peter was close enough for Jesus to rescue him. He was under the mighty hand of God. He hadn't sunk. He was just sinking. 
and the devil is prowling around, but he still hasn't prevailed. I might be discouraged, but I'm not defeated. I want to stay close enough for God to grab me when I feel an attack coming on. Then look how he ends it in verse 10. It's not going to last forever. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, strengthen you, place you on a firm foundation, and he gets all the credit. All power to him forever. Amen. Do you see the highlight of Peter's life? And now here he is decades later trying to teach every Christian in these churches, us included down to today, trying to teach us this, les- this lesson that I can be attacked but not anxious. That the devil can be prowling around me but it doesn't have to overwhelm me. That I don't have to believe his lies and I don't have to think that I'm the only one. And I can be prepared for it if I'll stay under the mighty hand of God. Can I be honest with you guys just for a second? I said at the beginning, like, I'm not a very anxious person. I don't have a lot of, like, worry or anxiety. I, I don't sleep so well, but it's not really because of that, you know. I don't get ulcers and stuff like that. But I've had some anxiety since we reopened our church. Can I tell you about it just for a second? I mean, just to keep it real, be honest with you for a second, right? So I've got this anxiety, this whisper in my ear that the devil's been like hitting me with the last several months. Here's what it sounds like. You ready? It sounds like this. What if pre-COVID three strands is the best it's ever going to get? What if you don't have what it takes to lead this church to something greater in the next nine years than in the first nine years? And then you come to church and you see like half our crowd and it's a battle every week and there's stuff going wrong sometimes and it, it's, it's like you hear it in your head. Like, what if you don't have enough? Like, what if this is as good as it's ever going to be? And you may not feel that. You may not care about that. You may come in here and just think like, I just love it how it is. I don't, I don't care. But like, man, my heart is driven that way. And so it's like, I hear that all the time. But then I looked at these two verses I'm going to share with you, verses six and seven. I looked at them in the Greek. We don't do that all the time in this church, but it's important in this context to show it to you. Because in a lot of English translations, there's a period between verse 6 and 7, but there wouldn't have been a period in the Greek. It would have just been one ongoing thought between verses 6 and 7. So let me show it to you in a more literal translation. I'll use the ESV. Here's verses 6 and 7. This is what it reads like in a more literal. I could read you the exact literal Greek translation, but it's a little like inconvenient in English. So Here's a more literal account of those two verses. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. There's no period in between you and casting. It's an ongoing thought. It continues on like one flow. And I look at my life and I see so many times I try to cast my anxieties while keeping my pride. And I get it that we pull out individual verses from the Bible because they look good on the wall art from Hobby Lobby. And so we want the verse to say, like, cast all your cares on the Lord for he cares for you as if that's in the Bible all by itself and there's nothing before or after it. But it isn't like I'm supposed to go around casting my cares on the Lord like I'm a flower girl at a wedding. 
And then you go to church and you tell somebody you're having a lot of anxiety and they're like, just cast your cares on the Lord. And you're like, I like to cast my meds at your face is what I'd like to do. That doesn't work. I tried doing that. I told the Lord about all my anxieties and I still feel anxious. Don't tell me just go around spreading them. Oh, here's my anxiety. They're just going floating away from me. And I still feel like garbage because you missed what was before it. It isn't about me casting my anxieties on the Lord. It's about me humbling myself under his mighty hand. And when I do that, the anxieties are cast on him. You see, pride and anxiety come in the same package. You don't get to exclude one from the other. And if you insist on doing it all your way, then you can expect to feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. Because that's how it works. We walk around saying things like, God, take this off of me. God, please, please free me from this worry. But I'm going to go ahead and just keep doing what I want to do. It didn't work that way. And the reason it feels like you can't bear it anymore is because you're carrying around a burden you weren't meant to carry in the first place. See, pride and anxiety, they go together. If you were here just a month or two ago, I had this series we did called The Monster Me. It was all about pride. You guys remember that? Anybody remember that? It was all about pride. And I shared the word pride with you. And I said, right in the middle of the word pride is what? An I. You think that's just coincidence? Or do you think that like thousands of years ago, when God was writing this stuff, you think he knew like in English that word would have an I in the middle? Of it? I don't know. I mean, I, I think God knows everything, so... So there it is, right in the middle of pride is an eye. Do you think it's also coincidence that there's another word in English that has the letter I right in the middle of it? You think that's just a chance happening? Or could it be that pride and anxiety are so linked by the big I right in the middle that they go together? And you can't shed one without the other. And the point of the passage isn't that we would stand strong and fight the devil with our fists. And it isn't that we would pray a bunch of prayers and cast all of our worries on the Lord, which are all good things. The point of the passage is that we would humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that when anxiety comes, we're within arm's reach and he can rescue us. The people who give all the time, the people who show up all the time, the people who spend time with the Lord all the time, anxiety rarely beats them down because they're staying right there under the mighty hand of God. They have the exact same crummy things happen in their life that you have, but they don't feel it the same way because they've decided to trust God's facts and not believe the lie. And the reason it feels like anxiety is out of control in your life and you can't handle it anymore is because you're walking around carrying what was God's to carry in the first place. You're sitting on a throne that you were never big enough to fill. You're ruling a kingdom that doesn't actually belong to you. And it's like I was studying this week and God was having this heart-to-heart -heart with me. And I was sharing with him this anxiety of mine, wanting to share it with all you guys, and saying the exact same things to him, like, God, what if this is as good as it's ever going to be? What if pre-COVID three strands is the best it'll ever be at our church? What if we'll never see 100, 200 people here? 
What if we'll never see more people come into faith in Christ? What if we never have a baptism like we had at the beginning of March? What if I'm not the leader I need to be to lead us the next nine years? What if I don't have what it takes to lead our church to something greater for the next nine years? And it's like God was using 1 Peter 5 to say to me this week, what makes you think you had what it took to get the first nine years done? You better get back underneath the mighty hand of God. What makes you think you had what it took to get this far in life? How proud I am, how proud we are, and how easily we leave the protection and the provision of the mighty hand of God and decide to go do it our own way and then wonder why we're so filled with anxiety. Do you understand what he's saying in here? Casting all your anxieties on God is not the command. It's the result. Do you see that in the text? The command is to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And when you do, the anxiety is cast away with the pride. You ever talk to somebody who's dropped a bunch of weight? And they tell you, like, I had a bunch of knee pain. My hips always hurt. My back always hurt. And then I I dropped a bunch of weight. Now I feel great. Now my knees never hurt anymore. Why is that? Because when you drop the weight, the pain goes with it. Could it be that you're carrying around responsibility that isn't yours to carry anyhow? You're calling the shots for a life that doesn't belong to you? Could it be that the reason you're overwhelmed with anxiety is because you haven't taken the eye out of the middle of it? You haven't shed the pride? You haven't humbled yourself and said, I'm going to do it God's way no matter how I feel? I'm going to stop being my own God. I'm going to instead humble myself and get back underneath the mighty hand of God where I need to be so that when it all comes crashing down and I hear the roaring and I know he's coming to get me, I won't buy the lie. I won't live based on my feelings, but instead I'll trust God's facts so that I'll remember I'm not alone. Could it be that I just need to get the big eye out of the middle of my life and get back under the hand of God so that when anxiety attacks... And I yell out, God, help me. God, save me. He'll be right there to reach down, pick me up, keep me from sinking. Could it be for you it's the first day you've ever done that? That you've lived your whole life calling your own shots, doing your own thing? I come to church when I feel like it. I read my Bible when I want to. I do what God tells me to do when it's convenient for me. I mean, I know what God says, but you don't understand what it's like to be me. I promise we're going to dig all into the layers of anxiety over the next four weeks. But it's got to start here. At the place of humility. Where you recognize you need to be under the mighty hand of God. See, what Peter's trying to teach us all is this idea that anxiety is just the fruit. But pride is the root. And the devil means to devour you. He would like nothing more than to destroy you. He'll take anybody he can get. But how's he going to do that if I'm safe under the mighty hand of God? How's he going to get me then? I mean, I'm in the Jeep. God's got my back. He's a real lion. He's not just wearing some costume. And so I submit to him under his hand. And if you do that, 
Peter is simply promising us today that the enemies of your today become the testimony of your tomorrow. That can be you. You can be sitting here right now, somebody who's overwhelmed with anxiety, and it can all change right now if you'll just simply humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. We're going to close our service in a song. We're going to cry out some victory to the Lord. But while that song plays, maybe you need to pray and just have a conversation with God. Maybe that conversation needs to go something like this. God, up until this point in my life, I've been calling my own shots, but no more. I'm drawing the line right here. And from this day forward, I'm going to humble myself under your mighty hand. You say to do it, I'm going to do it. You say to believe it, I'm going to believe it. You died for me, I know that's enough to save me. Maybe today is the first day where anxiety attacks, but it doesn't win. Maybe today is the first day that you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and submit to him. Will you guys stand up with me and let me pray, with, pray for us? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your words to us. I pray they would ring true in our hearts. I pray you would give the people in our crowd right now the courage to step out in their minds and do battle with the enemy. That you would give them the courage to humble themselves under your mighty hand, to submit to you instead of just doing what they feel like doing. It's the hardest thing we'd ever have to do, God. I pray you would give courage in the room right now, conviction on our hearts to step out and say, today, I don't want to just pray some prayer somebody told me to pray. I don't want to just get baptized when I'm a kid. No, today I want to humble myself under the mighty hand of God. I want to know what victory over anxiety feels like in Jesus' name.